Welcome back, Run Your Mouth Podcast, no longer available on YouTube. We had a good run there. I don't know if you guys got a chance to check it out, but I was really having fun going live. I like the energy of it. You got to start talking. People are right there in the moment. You can't fuck around. You can't take multiple takes. You can't just go, hey, I fucked that up and let's make an edit. You're live for a full seven people who really wouldn't care if you fuck things up. But I like living in the moment. I like going, hey, this thing's live. This thing's important and we got to do it. And anyways, uh, YouTube, they took down my channel for COVID misinformation. Actually, it's not taken down yet. I'm on some sort of a temporary hiatus, but it's not like YouTube communicates all that well with you in terms of what the situation is. I didn't even know that my channel was gone. I got an email from someone saying that they had lined up uh, my last highlight video. They wanted to watch it and then it was gone. And then I went and I realized, oh, that's weird. It's not here. Did I not import it properly? And then I realized that there was a strike against it for COVID misinformation. Now, I, I just say this as a warning to you. Don't read FDA documents on your YouTube channel because you'll get in trouble for those of you who have been enjoying. And also don't be friends with people named Steven. People named Steven are dangerous individuals, especially if they have degrees in molecular biology and they really know their science stuff and they're looking, uh, willing to look at the information. Those kind of people, that's who your mom warned you about as a kid. Those are the, the individuals. Your mom's like, don't be hanging out with those smart science kids who are willing to read science documents. Those are the ones that are going to get you banned from the internet. You don't want to be hanging out with smart science people. That's, that's dangerous. That's how you get deplatformed. Um, so I don't know if you guys, uh, I've been truly appreciating having Steven on. I've been trying to navigate this COVID landscape. I used to be a guy who liked talking about the Fed. I thought the financial scams were the most interesting in the world until they start coming around and they say everyone needs to take a vaccine. And I'm very interested in this vaccine because it doesn't seem to have a ton of utility. This is not the first time you guys are listening to the show. I've said a lot of COVID stuff. You kind of know what my opinion is and who knows, I might still turn out to be completely and totally wrong, but I'm fascinated by the topic. In fact, I've never been fascinated by science in my entire life. I thought the entire world of stats and science was going to be irrelevant to my dumb existence of trying to tell dick jokes and, you know, sell stuff to people. If there were some topics that I never thought would be of interest or concern to me, it was all of those topics that I didn't pay any attention to in school and failed multiple times, time and time over. And all of a sudden I'm like, shit, I wish I kind of knew how this stuff worked because I'm very interested because I think they're lying to me and I'm just trying to figure out if they are, who knows, maybe they're not. So we're looking through all the information and I thought I found the jackpot in terms of proving that these people are lying to us. So what do we do? We went through uh, the uh, Pfizer approval, right? And then we also went through the actual pre-trial, uh, the FDA document, and then also the pre-trial data. So now the, the full episode is still up. I guess the people who label things as COVID misinformation, uh, if you're going to do long enough episodes that are sciencey, they're like, all right, no one's going to watch this. We don't care about this. But if you actually take the time, you waste an entire Sunday and you cut a good highlight and you get the actual documents in there, they'll strip you right off the platform. And now here's what's remarkable to me about them stripping that information from the platform. First is, I said multiple times through the video, here's what we're seeing in these documents, correct us if we're wrong. We were literally reading two public documents, one of which is from, if the FDA really likes the information in their documents, they should love nothing more than people like me reading them and broadcasting to the world. Why aren't they proud of their work? I mean, this is the greatest scientific achievement in our entire lifetimes, and people like me, dumb comedians, will go onto their YouTube channels and read the documents. 
they should be proud of their work. You know, it's like when people, uh, I don't know, they like, why aren't you guys, uh, you should be writing me a letter. Like, thank you for appreciating the work that went into this document. Same thing with the Pfizer study. You know, if you got a good study here and we're reading it, okay. So we're reading these studies, brings up some questions. There's some things that don't make sense to me. And so I point out, hey, these elements don't make sense to me. Please explain to me if I'm wrong here. Then I, I don't just do that. I even put my, the link to my notes in the episode description, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. I say, please email me if I got something wrong. I'm just remembering someone sent me an article and we're going to have to do a segment at the end of the podcast with me breaking down that article. Thank you for reminding me whatever that side of my brain is. That was the side of the brain when you leave and then you realize like you didn't have the keys type thing and you got to turn back around. Um, someone sent me a really interesting article from the AP about the uh, exact pretrial data trying to discredit what I was saying last week. Uh, Anyways, we got a whole episode here. I'm not just going to complain about getting taken down from YouTube. Uh, I've got Guy Swan coming on in the second half. We're going to talk about crypto stuff, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to break down that article that uh, somebody had sent me. Anyways, I was trying to rant about YouTube. They pull it down. They say that it's medical misinformation. I even called the video... uh, tell me I'm wrong or something along those lines. So at no point in time do I think I claimed anything at all. In fact, I was asking questions. I'm a nice person over here, just trying to understand the science, trying to live a better life or I have more of an understanding of how things work. So they strip it down. I send them an email, go into pure Jew lawyer mode where I'm like, dearest YouTube, how much I love thee and the content on your platform. And I would like to be a better contributor to the YouTube community. If you could please better explain to me what was objectionable about my content so that I can be a better member of the YouTube community, I would greatly appreciate a better understanding of what you found to be an issue. Within 30 seconds, I get an email back that just says, we've carefully reviewed this matter and it is in fact misinformation. I try and email them back saying, well, if you carefully reviewed it, Certainly you can tell me what the issue was that I can now be educated and a better contributor. And then, you know, of course it goes to nowhere because they don't care. And why would they care? They're a giant platform. You know, what do they need me and my 14 views for? Um, But anyways, I think the point I was trying to make was just that, uh, you know, no longer on YouTube. We're going to have to figure out a new place to go live. I did speak to the fine folks over at Odyssey who were kind enough to uh, set me up with being able to stream over there. Going to try and find some other places that we can go live from. And I ordered some new equipment for uh, my apartment so that, you know, it'll look like a slightly better setting. Point is more live stuff coming, you know, Uh, I'd like to say who needs Google or YouTube, but at some point, if they really want to ban you, uh, obviously they can. Uh, all right, let's move on. Boston this weekend. I've got dude. I mean, you should, anyone who hears this, cause it's going to be going out probably tonight or tomorrow. If you're within a 10 hour drive of Boston, get in your car and show up for this event. I mean, I'm losing money on this one cause I overbooked it. And I'm telling you, it's going to be like a really fun evening. You got BK Chris, uh, Andy, I'm going to mispronounce this guy's last name, but he's such a funny comic. He came out to Philly. He absolutely killed it. I met him because he just, at one of the shows, he's like, yo, I'm a libertarian. How do you get into this libertarian stuff? And I was like, dude, I got a gig tomorrow. Show up. And then he also did one of the sketches um, that I just recently did. I got this kid, Alex Tomasi, just met him, Connecticut comic. Uh, I did his podcast. We had a lot of fun on that. Of course, I got the Shedcast guys coming out. They're going to be dropping some tunes. And then we're going to be doing the annual Run Your Mouth, Smoke Out, Bug Out, which uh, I think I've got a really fun 
uh, flow for it this year, and I'm not going to be smoking weed, so I think it, I think it's really going to click. Me and BK Chris have had a lot of fun doing the live podcast as we've done as of late. So if you're in the Boston area, hit me up. Um, Rob's newsroom at gmail.com, Twitter, Robbie the Fire, Instagram, Robbie the Fire. I got a ticket link. I will send you the ticket link. Tickets are all of 10 bucks. This is in a backyard. You show up with beers, you show up with sandwiches, you hang out. Um, it's actually in North Reading at a fan's backyard. So if you're in the area, hit me up. I will get you the ticket link. Tickets are all of 10 bucks. Then I get you the address. You show up, you party with us, and it's going to be a good time. As long as we're plugging, I would like to plug our uh, newest sponsor, which is Border Board. Uh, and I know that a lot of my audience is good-looking females down in Texas, promiscuous 24 to 30-year-olds who, uh, in the peak of their, uh, you know, procreating, baby-making years, they actually can't afford these kids. It's kind of the irony of life. Uh, and, you know, you're super hot and you're going out there, you're getting all that fine dick, people are blasting up inside of you. You know, we've all been there. You're a little too drunk for a rubber or... Uh, you know, you, you said you were going to take the plan B, but you kind of procrastinated because you were hungover. And, you know, there's no plan C. You mix that next day, it's over. There, there's no plan C. You're done after the plan B. They got to make a plan C, D, E. Well, I guess at that point, you're just at the abortion. I got a little too excited over that. So anyways, let's go back. I mean, I'm supposed to be doing a sponsor read here. That was uh, inappropriate of me. I apologize, sponsor border board. So if you're uh, one of these females are down in Texas and you're looking for um, an abortion, uh, so there's the new service, it's really meant for liberals, where recent Mexican immigrants will, um, you know, who snuck in, so like they know the routes, they'll sneak you out. So like they snuck into the country, and they've got their routes, so they'll sneak you into Mexico, where they just totally um, legalized abortions. And here's why this is such a win for, uh, for any liberals out there. Firstly, you get to kill, um, you know, the baby and showcase their love for abortions. I don't even think you can really call yourself a true liberal unless you've had at least one abortion. You know what I mean? Like this is a signature thing of the party and I think you, you gotta contribute, you gotta show your loyalty. It's like putting up a Black Lives Matter flag, you know, you really gotta get involved. Next is, you get to help out a Mexican who recently immigrated to the country. You get to make sure that this guy's got a job that he's providing for his family. Then when you're down there, you can pick up pharmaceutical drugs um, and then you can actually sell them to make back the money for the trip and also use it to party and then get more kids, which can sponsor even more abortions. It's like a whole circular thing. I mean, this is not my business model, but these guys have it figured out. Um, speaking of which, uh, Peddling Fiction podcast, which I have to actually get a passport for. He hit me up. He offered me a gig down in Mexico. He said there's some island down there where women go down there and then they just stop wearing pants and that you can get uh, pharmaceutical drugs, like, right? At, which, by the way, that to me sounds like the entire vacation. Like, I'm not even that into pharmaceuticals, but just being able to show up somewhere and just buy it at a farm, like, that sounds like the, the vacation, is going to the pharmacy. And, and you don't even need to take it. It's just the thrill of being able to show up to the pharmacy, maybe put on your own lab coat, almost like a Hunter Thompson scene, and start, like, planning out what you may or may not even take. I, like I said, I probably wouldn't even take it. It just sounds like the thrill of getting it. Like, I remember first time I got a script for uh, for Adderall from a, from a doctor, and I, I swear it was like that scene from Half-Baked when the uh, doctor hands him the weed and he's just, like, shaking and nearly coming his pants, that when I handed it, like... I, I, it was almost like capture the flag where you're wondering if you're actually going to get it back to your side. And I had that pills in my hand. And I was like, am I really just going to be able to walk out of this CVS and just have these? Is that really, it seems too good to be true. But for some reason, once you're prescribed it, it's not fun anymore. 
Like it's fun when you're not prescribed it and you're taking it just the night before a final and you know, just blasting diarrhea out your ass and you know, information into your brain and trying to cover semesters worth of material in a night. Or if you're out drinking, I find uh, you know, Adderall's a pretty good and even burn. Uh, but for some reason, if you're prescribed and taking it daily, it's just totally not fun. Once again, I got distracted. I was trying to do a sponsor plug here for, uh, you know, for, uh, for Border Board. And I'm, I'm blowing this entire ad read just talking about the, the, the pharmaceutical companies didn't pay me to do an ad read. Border Board did. So let's finish Border Board. So anyways, uh, lucky for you, if you're down in Texas, they've made uh, abortions um, legal. Once again, for those who are confused about my feeling on it, just don't tell me about it. You know, I don't, I, it's not my business. All right. Um, whew, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, do I want to talk about any of this? Not really. Not really. Nah, I definitely don't want to talk about that one. That joke sucks. I don't even know I wrote it in my notebook. Uh, you see, this is what's good about going live. You just you just read these things. Toys, stuck nipples, band-aids, hemorrhoids, rip thing, marks on penis, uh, buying things, having them break in the parking lot, garbage bags spilling, no, nah, no, nah, I don't like any of these, crashed car... Uh, Mexicans selling you tires and then stealing back the tires. No, I don't like any of these. You know, let's just get into the COVID stuff. And then uh, in a couple minutes, we're going to have uh, Guy Swan on the show, which is a good time. All right. So here's this week's COVID news. I'm obsessed. I, 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 wish, uh, I wish I could go back to, you know, not caring about science. But I, here we go. First is you had Biden said many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated. What's incredible to me about that 80 million number is I was thinking about this. I believe that 80 million is about the number of people that voted for Joe Biden. I think it was 81 or 82 million. And that was with the highest voter turnout ever. So 80 million people is not a small amount of people. That is the mass amount of people that, you know, traditionally speaking, would decide an election. Now, if you also consider how many people were already kind of had their wrist twisted into getting this and how many people actually probably needed the vaccine because they were old or fat or just disgusting. Um, <laughs> so if you already consider that, that means that by action of not going to do something, 80 million people have essentially voted that they are not interested in this thing or that they don't trust this thing. That is not a small amount of people. How do you get to just dismiss 80 million people and go, I'm frustrated with the point of view of eight, like that's enough people to vote in a president. That is not a small number of people. Even if it was a small number of people, we can go into the freedom, liberty, and you know, not taking experimental stuff conversations. But I'm just saying to be dismissive of 80 million people, if we believe in this democracy thing and that that is a large enough grouping of people that they get to decide the one guy who's gonna make all the decisions and be in power, so then how is that many people like, in other words, if we were to just straight up vote on this issue, I mean, I guess I don't know how many people on the other side would show up and vote on it, uh, but I'm just saying to be dismissive of 80 million people and then say that you're frustrated with them, like think about how frustrating it is to be one of those 80 million people and be told that you're not allowed to make your own uh, health decisions. Now, here's uh, some interesting things that I'm seeing in terms of the labor market. First, I was very surprised. I saw a Delta article that 20,000 of the 80,000 employees hadn't gotten it. And then I also saw in Week magazine, and it's funny because, uh, you know, I'll refute every stat in the world until I guess they look like they're in my favor. And then I just accept them as fact because I'm as full of shit as everybody else who's ever tried to work in news media and information. Anyways, I'm trying to talk about this COVID stuff. 
70% of people said that even if there was a vaccine mandate, they would leave their jobs. I was talking to a friend of mine who works in the healthcare industry, and he was talking about how he has major staff shortages. Um, and that's been ongoing for about, you know, at least since the beginning of COVID, if not prior to that, but they've got major staff shortages. And most of the people that work in the, uh, Healthcare, he's dealing with like, uh, you know, dying old people. So I guess in old age homes, a lot of the people that work in there, they're like the, uh, um, they're from Jamaica and other South American countries. And these are the people that will not trust the government or they are not into the vaccines. Now, here's what's interesting. So if the government really were to mandate in a environment where there seems to be already staffing, um, staffing issues at a lot of companies. Now that might just be a result of the unemployment benefits that have existed, which are conveniently coming up just as people are being told that they're going to have to leave their jobs. Uh, so it could be that the labor market's about to change and everybody who refuses to get vaccinated is going to have to leave their jobs. And then that's going to be perfect timing for all these people that were on unemployment, the government will have really kind of coordinated the labor market for the benefit of everybody who followed the orders that they were able to be unemployed for an extended period of time. Even when COVID was no longer really an issue because they were vaccinated, they decided, Hey, I'm not going to stay home. And then right when their unemployment benefits were over, uh, government kicked everybody that didn't want to be vaccinated out of their jobs and, you know, win for socialism. They were really able to come in and use the power to punish the free market and make sure that their agenda uh, kind of played out in favor of the people that would listen to their orders. That is a possibility. It's also a possibility that us workers have a little bit more leverage than we realize. And then if enough people said, nope, I'm not doing it, companies would have to go back to the government and go, ah, shit, this is a problem. Um, it was actually my friend's theory that he thought that perhaps every single governor, basically everyone's trying to dodge the liability on this, and they're almost hoping for a Supreme Court ruling saying that you're not allowed to have the mandates. Uh, it's like no one really wants the liability of, I guess, either uh, the idea that they're providing an unsafe work environment or they're not complying with the pharmaceutical companies or the power of bees or like even the governors do, who knows? Uh, if I know anything about the Supreme Court, they like making decisions about as much as everybody else, which is great. What a great scheme. They have all of us paying taxes, telling us that they can be in charge, that they're gonna make the adult decisions, and then they just pass it around in a circle for everybody else to do. Anyways, that was first story, was uh, Biden made the address to the nation, and it sounds like he's uh, really making strong mandates, because as he said, this is not a freedom or liberty thing. Um, he also said in his speech that we have to protect the vaxxed from the unvaxxed, which of course they have yet to explain. Uh, the one theory that they've been trying to work with is this idea that like uh, the unvaxxed people are causing more of the mutations, which uh, I guess on a global level, that might be true, as uh, it seems that all of these variants, these multiple Greek letters coming from South America, coming come from, you know, India, coming from, you know, places that don't seem to have as many vaxxed individuals. Uh, but I think there's probably very little evidence, if any evidence, to suggest that a single mutation has happened in the United States of America because somebody was unvaxxed. Uh, now people will say, well, it's the large numbers, the more people that can get infected, the more opportunities there are for this thing to mutate. That's a very like theoretical. Um, and I would just say until that actually happens, I think it's pretty hard to point to American unvaxxed individuals, especially healthy ones. Like here's the other thing. 
if you're going to argue that perhaps unhealthy individuals with pre-existing conditions should be getting uh, vaccinated and that other people probably should not be, let's just say that you were put forward that argument. So do mutations happen uh, in over in generally speaking, healthy individuals? Like if you look at the law, law of large numbers, so a lot of people need to get infected and as more and more people get infected, there's more opportunities for the virus to mutate. The mutation of the viruses is essentially that just each time, I guess it replicates itself, there's like a glitch and that glitch could possibly lead to a mutation, which is actually uh, better for the virus's survival. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. And then if it infects the next person, that can become like the more dominant one because it's uh, stronger, mutated for, uh, for the benefit of the virus. And then it's gonna beat out the other mutations because it's the, uh, you know, it's like Darwin, whatever. It's the stronger one. What the fuck was I talking about? Something to do with, uh, right, right. What are the odds if, if non-healthy individuals so how many, how many, generally speaking, healthy individuals end up getting COVID and are sick for long periods of time that a virus would have the opportunity to mutate? Like, and is that enough individuals that you could even see a viral mutation? Like, what, how many people need to be infected? It could be one in a million, that if a million people get infected, and then I don't even think it's infected. I actually think you have to be sick for a certain period of time. But as I've explained, I'm only recently interested in this whole science thing, so what the fuck do I know? Next thing I wanted to point out, they're already kind of changing. This was driving me nuts. All week, I was just trying to figure out vax versus unvaxed deaths. So every time they report on vax versus unvaxed, it's always going back to January. And the claim is that 95% of all hospitalizations and deaths are from people that were unvaxed. Now, what's interesting about that 95% number going back to January is that of course, January, February, March, I don't think a number of individuals uh, were vaccinated at that time. So of course, in terms of percentage terms, you don't have a lot of people that are um, you don't have a lot of people that are vaxxed, right? Uh, so of course, most of the deaths are gonna occur amongst unvaxxed individuals. The other thing that's interesting to note is that as we're coming into now June, July, August, you're looking at the Delta variant, we know that the vaccine, uh, or at least on paper, it would seem that the vaccine would not work as well against the Delta, Delta variant that it would in the Alpha variant. So the important information to me would be, hey, in the months of July, August, and September, if I'm looking at deaths, what percentage is from each category? That's what you gotta look at. The information going back January, February, March is largely irrelevant uh, because firstly, you're not dealing with the Delta variant. And second, right, you're dealing with um, a low concentration of vaxxed individuals so of course the percentage of vaxxed people, I'm sorry, of course the percentage of unvaxxed people being the deaths is gonna be higher. The more relevant information is that if we're looking at this right now, right, for the month of August, is the vaccination saving people's lives? Is there a significant, are there significantly more unvaxxed individuals in hospitals than vaxxed individuals? And yet, firstly, I, I like they, they're keeping this information. They obviously have this information because if you're looking back to um, the January, which is the information, like the, the number that they're trying to point to, which is this 95%. So you can look back at it and then you can clearly like they have that number. But then when you look at every single chart that they put out, 
right? It's not there. There's no breakdown of vax versus unvax. So like, and especially if they're trying to prove the importance of this, like you would just put that information front and forward. There's no reason for that information not to be available. They literally have it. They put out the studies of um, deaths in each place. So why aren't they giving us that information? If that information is in their favor, why wouldn't they just be putting it out? Uh, the other thing in terms of just kind of like the shifting benchmark of uh, what would be considered like um, a vaxxed or not vaxxed death. So they're already said in, in, uh, in the Holy Land of Israel that unless you've had three shots, you're not considered categorically, you're no longer considered vaccinated. So here's what you kind of have. We're going to be on this rolling treadmill where the vaccine most likely does not work for new variants because as Stephen has explained, it's not designed that way. Now, is Stephen even really a scientist? I have no idea. Uh, is, that, is that scientifically accurate information? I don't know. Go talk to your doctor. Find out if that's medically accurate. But it would seem that the vaccines, and by the way, from the amount of people I personally know that have gotten sick from the Delta variant, it would appear to me that the vaccine does not work as well for variants. And then the newest information out of Israel is so they're, they're doing the booster shots and you have to get three shots. Now, what they're doing, which kind of covers up their tracks, is that they're saying you're not considered vaccinated anymore unless you've had the three shots, which all of a sudden means if, you're, if you've had the two shots and people with the two shots start dying, guess what? That's not considered a vax death or at least in the Israel numbers, or at least from what I'm seeing thus far. Now, if they end up doing the exact same thing in America, so if all of a sudden people with two vaccines start dying in large numbers, uh, even from, you know, from these variants, none of those would be considered vaccination deaths. I don't know that they're going to end up recording it in that way in this country, but I'm just saying that would be quite a shift in what the benchmark is. And once again, like we had pointed out with the uh, Pfizer trial data, where they got rid of the control group. They told the control group, hey, it's too unsafe to remain unvaccinated, so we're gonna give you the vaccine, which also gets rid of the track record of how the control group would do against the people that have been vaccinated. This is kind of the same thing where if all of a sudden we keep changing what, like in other words, six months ago when I said, hey, I don't think two vaccines are gonna work. I don't think that's gonna be helpful. Well, I guess if you change that vaccine means that you needed to have three, you can never prove that six months ago, anyone who made the statement that two wouldn't work would be correct or incorrect. And then what happens when all of a sudden they say you need a fourth? And then all of a sudden when they say you need a fifth, or if all of a sudden they say, well, you also need to be taking this in conjunction with that. Well, then how do we ever establish if they were lying to us, if they were being overly aggressive, how do we ever establish any of that? Speaking of lying to us, it seems as though the evidence has come out that Fauci certifiably did engage in gain-of-function research, and remarkably, The Intercept put this out, and uh, as I was reading the news today, I don't think most people mentioned it. In fact, I went through all of Google News. I like reading Google News. I like reading The Week. There's a bunch of places. I even think The Wall Street Journal didn't mention it. Most places didn't seem to mention the fact that uh, through a Freedom of Information Act, they finally got access to, I guess, emails that prove that Fauci did, or the NIH did actually review uh, funding that was going to, uh, to uh, the labs in China and certainly engaged in gain-of-function research. Uh, no one really covered that. Is Fauci even going to get in trouble for it? Is he going to get away with this new definition of, hey, what I did, that was uh, increasing the utility. There was no gain-of-function there. 
remains to be seen. Um, remains to be seen. And then I've uh, been tweeting about this, but if uh, you're not following me on Twitter, I thought that this might be important to share with all of you. Um, don't wait until it's too late to be bad at your job. It's uh, it's important to get fired for being an idiot now before you know, they impose the vaccine mandates and you say, hey, I don't want to take this vaccine. And then you're uneligible for unemployment because the way socialism works, you got to play into the system. You got to go with the system. If you're an incompetent idiot and you get fired from your job, they'll pay you for that. You can, you can stay home for maybe up until a year. I mean, the government, they got your back. If you're an incompetent idiot who's incapable of, you know, keeping the job because you're too dumb and incompetent or lazy or whatever your personal issue is, start doing drugs. You might as well do a year on heroin. Come back from that. Live that trip. Do some fucking crystal meth. Go down that road. At least you'll be printing government checks. You get fired from your job because you refuse to get vaccinated. All of a sudden you're looking at a labor market where you can't find employment. That's depressing. What are you going to do? You're going to sit at home all day, be sober without money, aware of the fact that you can't pay your rent at the end of the month, that your kids are having this problem, that this person's having that. That's why get fired now. Show up tomorrow, start doing really stupid shit, right? Just fuck up spreadsheets, whatever you can do that's really flagrant, that's going to get you fired before the deadline comes in. You got to start doing that tomorrow. I don't know what your job is. I don't know what you could do, which is so unbelievably incompetent that maybe call Harrington, no more Harrington jokes. Uh, maybe call up, uh, whoever your dumbest friend is. You probably have a friend who's really, really dumb and you could just ask them like, Hey, when you're at work, what do you do while you're there? Or, you know, maybe look into the archives of what people have gotten fired for. The point is get ahead of this thing, get fired now before you're forced to quit over a vaccine mandate. And then you can collect the unemployment. And then hopefully, you know, that thing resolves itself in a year from now where we, uh, you know, people's dicks start falling off, which has been my prediction since the beginning. I've been saying that since the outset. And then once we get there, you know, you'll be able to have a job and a dick which is going to work out pretty good. And speaking of that, that's a pretty good opportunity to plug Sheath Underwear, who has come out with all sorts of exotic new styles. They've got t-shirts, which I think I told you about. Oh my God, dude, on a human day, I put that thing on. You, you could be riding in hundreds, you could be, you could be riding your bike on Mars. That thing's just going to absorb all the sweat and keep you cool. Same fabric as the underwear, but you got a whole t-shirt of it. And, uh, if you're not familiar with Sheath, I mean, are you, have you not been listening to this podcast? Did YouTube engage in so much censorship that you weren't able to get the information from me about how you could be separating your penis from your, from your testicles and keeping everything cool and dry in the downstairs area? Because I've been out here week after week, partnered with Robert from Sheath, telling you that if you use promo code RYM, you're going to get 20, I think 20% off. Maybe it's 25. You got to put in those numbers. You got to put in those numbers and then find out for yourself what that discount's going to be. But you put it in, you get that discount, then you get home alone, you put it, you put those things on, you look in the mirror and you're like, holy shit, I didn't realize that if I separated my dick from my balls and I wore tight underwears, it's like, it's like man cleavage. You're like, I didn't even realize my penis could look this good. Then all of a sudden you're taking pictures, you're sending it to every lady who wouldn't sleep with you. Most of them are ignoring it, but it's a numbers game. If you've had enough women over, like when was the last time you followed up with all the chicks you struck out with after a date or two and tried sending them a picture of you in your underwear? I mean, if you've been going out on, let's say exactly two to three dates, uh, you know, once a quarter, you realize, hey, I should go on a date. And then maybe you only close one of those a year. So that means there's at least three leads every single year over the course of 10 years. That's 30 leads. And when did you follow up with these people? And maybe they're sitting there. They just broke up with their boyfriend. They're totally lonely. And you send them a picture and they're like, firstly, 
They're like, this guy can afford sheath underwear. I know that he's a winner now. And look at that bulge. I didn't realize when I went out on that date and he could barely make conversation that he had a bulge like that. And then I don't know what else they might be impressed by because I don't really understand women. Um, but if you go to sheathunderwear.com, you know, you can buy yourself that underwear. And once your dick's separated from your balls, the clarity you're going to have in all of your endeavors, that's how you start understanding stats. That's what they should have told me when I was trying to go to college is, hey, listen, if you uh, were, if your nuts weren't stuck to your leg right now, you wouldn't feel as uncomfortable sitting in the seat. And then you'd be able to absorb this information. And then now I wouldn't have to track down scientists and spend most of my day trying to read journals and whatever else to try and understand this stuff. So, you know, that's, that's the sheath pitch. All right. And, uh, now let's, uh, segue over. Um, we're going to have on Guy Swan, who is the expert of expert on all financial topics. Um, and, I thought that this would be a good week to talk to him because Bernie Sanders is talking about like they're talking. I, I mean, I don't even understand anymore what's going on with government printing. It started with, hey, stop gap measure. We got Corona going on. So one trillion. You can't print one trillion. We're already in debt. One trillion. That's crazy. They get it passed. And then they're like, all right, we got to do that again. And like, do it again. We just did it. And then they're like, OK, one trillion is too much. So we'll do 900 billion. Then they're like, all right. But, you know, that was for giving money over to Wall Street and paying you know, able-bodied people not to work. Now what we need to do is infrastructure and we need like $4 trillion. Like that's way too much money. So then finally, and then it finds out none of this stuff. And like, now I don't even know where we're at. I don't even know what we passed, but they're talking about that they need a new, after there was that whole debate about the last one. Now they're like, well, we also need the 3.5 trillion for, you know, combating global warming and all the other stuff that we're talking about. I saw one headline that I just loved, which was Bernie Sanders uh, saying, that uh, 3.5 trillion, it's not enough trillions. We need more trillions. That's the starting point on trillions. It's, it's not, we need trillions more than that trillions. 3.5 trillion, it's not nearly enough trillions to get, uh, we need to take more money from the billionaires and, and, and the millionaires and, 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 and so can distribute the trillions. Like how many more trillions can even fucking exist at some point? Like, don't you, don't you run out, but who knows, you know, maybe, maybe that's financial misinformation that maybe what I just said, we need YouTube to step up and label what I've said as financial misinformation, because at the end of the, I, I mean, I'm not a financial expert and Bernie Sanders is an elected official. So if he's saying that 3.5 trillions, isn't even a starting point for the amount of money that we need to print in order for, I, I don't know, people, I, I don't even know what the plan is because I'm not a financial expert like Bernie Sanders. So you know what? Just to avoid getting this information taken down, Bernie, I invite you on the show. Explain to us how many trillions need to be printed and where it's coming from because, you know, I, I'd hate to be labeled as financial misinformation. And now let's turn it over to conversation with uh, Mr. Swan, who will be able to clear up everything Bitcoin for us. Uh, and now, Mr. Swan... I believe this is a third or fourth appearance on the Run Your Mouth podcast and uh, <laughs> your, your personal favorite. So thank you for making some time tonight. Absolutely. Always, always. All right. So you and I, we were just talking about it for, for a second because it's brand spanking, brand new news, uh, which is Biden made the, the announcement that he's going to be actually be making a mandate that uh, any company over 100 people, uh, you got to be vaccinated or test once a week. I believe that that was the gist of the ruling. Uh, and you and I were starting to ponder if, uh, well, you were saying in the military, people were saying, hell no. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I was just watching a video of somebody talking about, um, like, like detailing out people that they knew. Um, someone on, uh, apparently they just said, like, t tomorrow, 
the the whole base is supposedly going to have to get vaccinated and that 12 people who were um like f-22 pilots just like straight up walked out um and uh and he was talking about like some uh i think he's uh was it b2 b2 bomber pilots um like walked out he he had like uh he said his wife was going to and she did she did something but essentially like the point where I think we're getting to the point where a line is being crossed um, because there has been a lot of talk and like almost and like poking at people, but it's all just been like picket fences and stuff that like you can walk around it. You can just kind of pick, you know, get over the barrier or whatever. And this is a far more direct. You're going to do this or you're going to lose your job. And legally this is something that they don't they can't even come close to doing like the 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 government the president like congress they do things that are illegal all the time that are 100 unconstitutional but it's like those things where it's done in such a way and it's done with the facade of oh we debated about it that people just kind of like don't push back you know like we went to war with iraq and afghanistan we never fucking declared a war you know, like like this 100 percent is absolutely no legal way to do that. But it was just kind of excused and it was like everybody kind of wanted it. And, you know, it was the it was the narrative to push. So it's just like, ah, it doesn't affect me. They're just bombing people over there and they're bad guys. They're just everybody in that general geographic area is a bad guy. So, like, let's just let's just kill them. Um, and this is a much this is a direct this is coming at i mean you you, you just said it 80 million americans are going to be hit and, by this in like a matter of days like it's at, not just 80 million people you also have to understand that there's a lot of people who are sympathetic to the viewpoint of those 80 million people because they were previously threatened by their employers then and they got it or i know a lot of people mm -hmm. that got it and then when they started hearing that they would have to get the boosters like fuck no so yeah. everyone, there's a lot of people like that, that have gotten, gotten the vax. And now they feel like, well, you kind of lied to me on that one, because now you're saying that I'm going to said it was all going to be good that we were done. Yeah. You, you, like, exactly. You said I was going to be protected. And now there's like talks of like, still have to wear a mask and that the, uh, the, the vac, the unvaxed people are putting me at risk and I'm going to have to get a booster. So now people are like, I am opting out of this thing. So you don't just have the 80 million people. you got a lot of people that are sympathetic to the, the plight of the 80 million that didn't get that. And then also no one's talking about this. If there's 80 million people, let's just assume that those are actually working individuals. Let's just assume wild thought experiment. That's 80 million. How many people are relying on those people for income? Like there could be, right. you know, a lady that's been vaxxed, like wife's been vaxxed, husband's not that, that wife's not necessarily supporting the government, throwing her husband out of her, out of the job. Uh, so it, it, it does seem to me like it's almost too large of a number for, I, I was actually surprised the number was as large as it was when I saw that Delta 20,000 of their 80,000 employees still haven't been, uh, vaccinated. I was shocked. The number was that high. It, it, yeah. It's almost, I'm almost surprised by with all the information being pushed saying safe and effective. I'm surprised that there are this many people who feel the same way as you and I do. Yeah. I mean, it's, is distrust. It's distrust. Like nobody trusts this shit anymore. Like, like they can put all the charts and all the numbers they want. And there's just a whole subset of people who are just like, you're fucking full of it. Like you're just, you, all you do is a lie. All you do is, 
like it was two weeks it was two weeks you know my ass we're a year and a half into this this is never going to end and this is about setting up a digital identity system like 100 i really don't think this none of this matters COVID is here COVID is here period like it was always going to be here forever we've never gotten rid of a disease that is carried by animals ever a, a, a respiratory disease? No, it was a joke. Anybody who had half a brain could look at it from the day that this thing was out. And it was like, there's no, this is it. This is it. We live with COVID. We either, we either accept that today or we accept that 10 years from now, still screaming at each other and beating each other up over a cloth over your face or whether or not you're going to get the 33rd booster shot or, or we just get back to life. And they don't want that because what they want is a digital ID system. Like they're, they're exporting the social credit system to the West. And, you know, this isn't like a minor thing. There has never been any sort of system. It's shocking the moronic analogies to like speed limits and like you have to wear your seatbelt and all this stuff. There has never been a situation where you are not allowed to go to a fucking grocery store, a restaurant, Go watch a movie unless you have some digital certification that you have taken a pharmaceutical product. Like that's out of this world. And nobody has ever been forced to get a vaccine to be vac to to be in the place that you live in. Like you might have to take a vaccine or like take some sort of like anti-malaria shot or something to fly to a new place, but not to go to the store in the on the street that you grew up in like that's utterly insane and, and we this, all and you got to remember the escalations of the second that we invite these things yeah. into our lives like don't don't forget i mean i don't remember really flying pre-tsa but i like people describe what it's like and i i, I mean i can think of other guys it's like if we invite this into our lives it's like done. It's, it's permanent yeah it's there and um, it will be a growing apparatus because once it's accepted as a thing be a that huge we have to engage in, yeah. There's going to be a huge institution making bukus of money off of this, and they're going to try to figure out how to make it on everything. Like, the the idea that this will ever be A, temporary, or B, only used for vaccines is absolutely... It's going to be like... The fact that anybody could still system. believe that is batshit to me. Yeah, like, we're going to have to go to government buildings to, like fight with them about the digital certifications that they mess up. And yep. it's, uh, it, it I, I agree with you. It's a, it's an, it not only is it an absolute nightmare just in terms of, uh, just the, the compliance aspect that even if you want to be fully compliant, just the very act of needing to have a phone and prove your willingness to be compliant, like the actual being compliant. Like for example, I want to go fly to Mexico. I just got booked for a cool gig with the peddling fiction guys. I don't have a passport. I have to go figure out a passport situation. I'm willing to be compliant in terms of flying to Mexico and going mm -hmm. through, but it's like, I have to do things in order to be compliant. I'm going to have to spend money being government offices. There's going to be a bunch of shit that I have to do just to be compliant. So even the people that like the idea of, you know, getting vaccines and having some sort of a system for it, there will be effort involved in remaining compliant. Like what happens when you lose your cell phone one day? And you're trying to go to the cell phone store to get a new cell phone. But wait a second, you're going to have to go to an office to get a temporary pass because you can't have the digital passport on you because you don't have your cell phone. Like, how, how is some of this shit going to? And then so yeah. that's just the first aspect. Even if you like it, being compliant with it is going to be a pain in the ass. 
But then yeah. secondly, it also means that they're going to be tracking everything that we do at all times. And they're going to be attached to our health records. Any single time the drug um, agencies come out with something and they lobby for it to be approved, it's basically going to be mandatory that it, like they're going to have basically a system in place by which the government pays for it. And we all have to take it. This is a uh, horribly scary and, and dangerous precedent. Yeah, this is this is really, I think, the push to to centralize and conglomerate uh, and to uh, coalesce the the entire digital tracking system. Um, that's really what I think the the ultimate push behind this is, because we have been tracked and recorded and, uh, you know, tallied and logged in the digital world in basically every which way possible, but in a very decentralized way. We've been tracked by a lot of different companies with a lot of very specific things, you know, like where our phones are in relation to everybody who's got a got, you know, Android Wi-Fi connecting to Google is that, you know, if you walk by somebody just with your Wi-Fi on, you will ping to get information and it will say, guys, you can actually go look this shit up. It's fucking crazy. Um, is that it will say like, guys, iPhone was here because the 10 people around you, you pinged, you pinged Wi-Fi and an exchange like did the you know initial handshake and then said oh there's no wi-fi here essentially but google knows where you are because of the 10 people you were standing near who reported to their google accounts the the devices that you were trying to connect to um and the devices that failed uh and and there's just like there's just this whole this you know whole here's the other thing they mm. know where we are at all times they can't yeah. really admit that to us they do. They've got they like do. perfect information on us, mostly, m mainly through our cell phones. Also, you know, there's so many cameras. They know where your license plate is. They probably got the facial recognition software on us. No, they I'm, I, I don't, not that they're paying that much attention to us at all times, but if they want to pull mm -hmm. up your file or they want to pull up where you are for whatever given reason, I think the other thing that will happen with um, initiating the COVID tracking and it's always sold on fear. It's always sold on fear. It's like the terrorism always. thing. Hey, the only way that we're ever going to be able to control this thing is if, uh, you know, we have an idea of where people are and we can tell them, hey, you've been infected. You got to stay home. It's all going to be about our safety. It, that, that will always be the pitch. This is the only way that we're ever going to be able to move on from Corona. On the back end of that, I think all of the big data tracking and all the other stuff that they had on us anyways this is what's going to be basically allow them to like turn on the, the light switch where it's like, Oh, this was only, this never existed prior to COVID. We can use this it, out in the open now. Yeah. 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 And it'll be uh, what ties it all together. It, exactly. It's like right now it's kind of a web of mess and a bunch of different companes and stuff. And the NSA has got their little back door and their, you know, their little shadow court system, you know, subpoenas and stuff. But, uh, largely it's on a, uh, a huge swath, like, like a large subset of databases that aren't actually tied together, that aren't actually able to parse each other's information perfectly. I think this is the tie in the knot. This is, this is centralizing that institution into government, um, creating it under the guise of be scared as shit. And then we will put something on your phone and this will get rid of all of the the leaks, all of the holes in the system where somebody can get a phone on cash and we can track this phone, but we don't know who owns it because it's not going to name on it. That you know, this like if you got if you go into a restaurant, you got to put your digital ID on that phone. If you can go eat, you better you better scan your vaccine. And now we know who has that phone. Doesn't matter what they bought it with. Um, and we're going to tie bank accounts to this. This is this is CBDC stuff. Like 
hands down, hands down. In five years, if you talk about the wrong thing on social media and drum up a protest against the wrong program that hurts the wrong person, you will be flagged, your bank account will be frozen, your vaccine passport will be revoked until your behavior improves. You won't be able to go do anything. Like this is this is what China has been trying to do, and this is what this is what they want. The the people who want control, this is this is heaven. This is absolute heaven for them. And the fact that they have this huge boogeyman to to make us all beg for it, it just and, you know, at, at the monetary reset, when really they know that the only way is to print their way out of this shit. And we're we're literally on the verge of collapse. And we're talking about like, oh, inflation is not so bad if you don't eat meat or chicken. You know, like it just it's a it's a shit show. They're they're trying to desperately to make sure that they are holding the reins of the thing that is going to replace the system that's dying. Um, and everybody is scrambling right now because. I think they're actually losing control. Like, you know, you only get desperate in a relationship to uh, like, you, you know, an abusive relationship is most abusive when the abuser realizes that it's falling apart, that they're losing control. Um, and I, I genuinely think that that's what we're looking at, that they're trying to put, they're trying to make sure that the foundation of the new, that they're still in control of it. I don't think it's going to work out like, like that. Um, well, I think it's just going to be a fucking mess. What an excellent segue into uh, talking Bitcoin and uh, crypto, <laughs> uh, because that's the way that we defund them, that we decentralize. Because here, here's part of the game for in terms of uh, centralizing things. If things are centralized, then like there's less choke points by which if you're the person in control, you can suck resources out of the system. Right. If you're the guy who if you're like the let's just say the parasite and you just have to attach yourself to one centralized location in order to suck resources out, it's pretty easy to do that. And you can do it in massive numbers. It's as yeah. things get wider and wider spread. It's harder to be an effective parasite, which is essentially like what look at it this way. It, it's almost like you can look at any industry almost in the United States Um Let's go with wheat. Let's just go with wheat. Wheat is becoming legal in a lot of states. Always. (laughs) Right. And now in certain states, the fight over legal weed is that they're trying to just make it legal for one or two or three companies. Right. That's kind of what's going on. The same thing kind of exists in the liquor industry. If you and I try to create a liquor tomorrow, it's going to be very tough to get it into stores. That's people who are in control trying to, you know, basically keep the control and make sure that other people can't come in and make profits. It's true in every industry. There's licensing laws. There's all sorts of stuff that will keep you from getting a piece of the pie. And the more centralized it is, right, the less opportunity there is to basically show up and compete. Um, the more centralized it is, the the higher the dollar uh, invest, the dollar payoff for a dollar lobbied. So the fewer, okay. the fewer politicians, the fewer companies, you know, if you're in like an actual open market and there's tons of different review companies and there's the better business bureau or whatever, you got to bribe like a shit ton of people to really make the narrative such that you are, you're the trustworthy one. But when there's, you know, a hundred million dollars in upfront costs and licenses and, you know, getting you know, your, your financial like insurance bond and all this shit from the government. And you've got this, this little political elite and you've got like four politicians in like some committee that really decide everything and decide who's going to get a license tomorrow and who's going to wait for three years. 
it's the it's the easiest. It's just like it's just like taking oh you've got a thousand targets to hit. It's just like let's put it all on one and make it really fucking huge and just put it like right in front of you. Spend one dollar. Take this one dude out for golf, and you know buy his you know donate a million dollars to his wife's charity. That's it. You're good. You're gold. That's it. I could just uh, put it all in one place. Yeah. And the the other thing with uh. When, when things become decentralized, there's more opportunities for individuals to make money. And a perfect example to that is podcasting. Mm-hmm. 40 years ago, a guy like Dave, who does pretty well with his podcast, what, what, what is he going to get one of the 10 jobs that exist on Fox News? Probably <laughs> not. And so yeah. Fox News kind of has a control over all of the money, or not Fox News, but the 10 players have yeah. a control of all the money that's going to be made in media. And they kind of get to pick, hey, these are the couple people that are going to be able to do this job. All of a sudden, podcasts come out. Everyone in the world can do it. And now the amount of people that are making money off of basically news media or even just like radio, basic, it's a giant number. It, yeah. it, so like as opposed to Johnny yeah, Carson. Literally massive. It's growing. Yeah. It's like, like 40% or 30 or 30% or something stupid last year. It like it just keeps it keeps accelerating. It's absolutely. So as not. opposed to one one Johnny Carson who gets the one comedy show and makes I don't know what the equivalent of his salary would be now. Yeah, there's probably a thousand comics who are doing a variation of like a late night show and they're all making money. That's kind of the advantage. And that's not what the centralized powers want. That's not what your NBC or anyone who currently has their handle on one of these markets. Uh, that's hard a- to control. And that that that's painful for incumbents. And those incumbents have billions of dollars to spend to try to make sure that doesn't happen. They don't I think get, that's like, what we're seeing. Right, and, they yeah. don't want economic growth. They want to control no. their slice uh-huh. of the pie. They don't want competition. El Salvador, and I'll hand this back to you. There was a great story today that because of the way that they've launched crypto, uh, it's going to cost $400 million will basically flow from Western Union to the individuals who are trying to get money back to their families in El Salvador. So two part question. I'll let you give people the details on this. And then I would love to hear more of these stories of the actual utility of crypto kind of from like a moral standpoint, like really helping out poor people or people in need. Okay. Well, I'll say first that this is, this is more specifically Bitcoin. I know people a lot of like talk about in the, the broader idea of crypto and I still kind of tend to lean towards the, the concept of cryptography. I kind of hate how crypto has been bastardized because I came from, I came from more like when I found quote unquote crypto, all coins didn't exist. Shit coins weren't around. So uh, it was just fascinating to talk about cryptographic systems uh, in, in that context. But uh, just on the idea of El Salvador, I kind of talked about it a little bit today in today's episode, um, was uh, the framing of... Uh, do what? Oh, what? Uh, Bitcoin Audible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin Audible. Talk Bitcoin fucking every day. Read, read all the Bitcoin things. Make them audible. Do guys' takes. Do interviews. All that good stuff. Um, but uh, uh, so El Salvador, um, that this just went live on September 7th. So it's what, two days ago? Yeah, two days ago now. And um, this is going to be, the CNBC article is actually pretty funny because it was, it was framed as if uh, the, new, the new El Salvador wallet was going to cost Western Union $400 million rather than, oh, oh so this funny. is going to save everyday El Salvadorans Four hundred million dollars in pointless, wasteful costs. I you did know? not even realize that that was their angle. I yeah. was like, "Oh my yeah. God!" CNBC is actually reporting on the fact that 
people are saving it was, it was a, money and giving it like now it's actually going to their family. They're not being ripped off by Western Union. It was a bit of a it. I mean, maybe it wasn't intended that way, but it was it really felt like a like a negative slight, you, you know, okay. like it's like, oh, this. This shouldn't happen to Western Union, you know. It's like fuck. I hope Western Union goes out of business. Um, but uh, remittances are a much bigger problem than four hundred million dollars. In fact, it's like six billion dollars in El Salvador uh, yearly, I think. Um, and like right now, like the the Lightning Network and Bitcoin, the infrastructure being built out right now is massive. You know, uh, like strike right now what they're doing with strike is that you can send one dollar from from a dollar account a dollar denominated account one dollar to somebody in europe and have it transfer and become one dollar in euros instantly and, and it's all because they're using lightning they're using bitcoin in the background to settle the payment I think one of the things that Bitcoin is going to do, aside from the fact that they're actually using it directly in El Salvador, which is magical, but it's going to actually make fiat stop sucking quite as much as it sucks. Um, the, the ability to have an open source monetary system, there are no jurisdictions here. There are just none. There's no borders. I can send, I can send a, a dollar to someone in El Salvador right this instant as easily as I can send a dollar to you or my wife sitting in the other room. A dollar's worth of value in Bitcoin can move that quickly. And this is kind of the, the second stage. This is when Bitcoin comes, uh, graduates, I guess you could say, or matures from a, a hard monetary asset, a base layer network that can secure a monetary policy uh, and, and maintain consensus against the biggest adversaries on the planet to one that now has a protocol stack that now has lightning that has side chains that has this entire ecosystem around it where it can actually become finally a medium of exchange where we can onboard a hundred million people we can onboard a billion people onto this and it's still actually affordable um, and that's that's really recent that we have really reached that point um and this is going to be a game changer for people in cuba that are have to have been forced to use the MLC system, like literally to get official dollars into Cuba right now, the uh, the government peg to actually pay out is twenty four to one for their currency, when the actual uh, the black market peg is seventy to one, or the Jeez, black market okay. price is seventy to one, which means, which means you get a sixty percent haircut just by getting that currency, but right. it's the but it's the Cuban dollar, you know, like it's utter bullshit. And, and you look at people in Lebanon, in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Western Union, PayPal, everybody who was doing business in Afghanistan in 24 hours issued a statement. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's a little hairy over there. Peace out. Good luck. Hope everything goes well for you. We're out of here. Bitcoin did not stop working. Anybody who was on a Bitcoin standard, nothing changed for them. Nothing. And the peer-to-peer -peer markets are absolutely exploding right now. The I'm not sure if it was with you that I was talking about this in Nigeria. Is Nigeria actually has the uh, largest per capita adoption of Bitcoin anywhere in the world. Their peer-to-peer -peer markets are massive with things like local Bitcoins and Paxful. Um, and they had 
the the stat that uh, Ray Youssef, who uh, runs Paxful, had uh, was that there were uh, over it was like month over month, I think, was was the amount of capital being moved in remittances that there was two point one billion dollars was what was expected. And it had dropped to fifty five million dollars moving in the legacy banking system. Whoa. Like that's not small numbers. Like somebody in some banking boardroom is freaking out somewhere. And we're talking about in like a year that that sort of move in capital has happened. And remittances, there are, there are whole countries all across and Panama just is looking at potentially making legal tender. Um, uh, Ukraine just officially legalized it and uh, gave uh, like clarity over what it is. Um, I think there was there's a rumor that there's something happening in Honduras. There's like a handful of countries now across South America and in Africa that are looking at this because we're talking about countries where 20%, 30%, 40% or more of their entire GDP is remittances that are just getting bled with like 10% fees. And you have to you have to realize that like 10 percent to people living off of the money that they're living when off you're living of off is 40 massive. Bucks, that's massive. Yeah. That is not a fucking joke. That's the difference between eating one week and not, you know, like that's absolutely insane. And to have something like that disappear and for them to that that sort of cost that drag on the system. And uh, and they even had uh, they had a little video of a guy who um, uh, uh, paid for, I think, like a rental space for like the work that he was doing and uh he just talked about like in el salvador and it's just absolutely beautiful he has a smartphone and it's kind of crazy because it's like little basically shack looking thing it's just a little rough looking place it's like imagine if you like had kind of like a poor beach area you know like a little little shack like and they just kind of had their stuff but he's got but he's got a smartphone but he's got a smartphone not your apartment (laughs) um and uh, and he was talking about the process to actually get money from overseas from his family. And that uh, what he would have to do is he'd drive an hour. He'd ride an hour into town on a bus and uh, have to wait in line for about an hour, maybe a little bit more, pay like a 5 to 10% fee to get the cash. And then he'd have to go to a bank, put it in the bank, and then do like an hour bus ride back. And that this took like three, four hours out of the day. So he's and wasting his whole day just to get the bucks. Just to do this. You have to stop all of his productive activity just to get the money. And he pays a huge fee in doing so and has multiple bus rides, like paying other people to give him rides. And then the, but this, the, this service or whatever that was doing this, like the person he was paying his bill to finally started accepting Bitcoin over lightning. And so while they were doing the video, it says, so what's your process now? You said you were going to you know do this for us right now. And he shows, yeah, so. Like, I just bring it up and he's like, got his little phone or whatever. He's like, so I bring it up right here. And like, this is the bill and this is how much. So I hit this. It makes a QR code. I tap, I copy, I pay. And there, that's it. Like that changes somebody's life. When you go, that's not a small friction that got like a little bit less frictionless. That's something that, that halted it's the 10% difference between, of your life. Yeah. It's the difference giving between it back to you. That's the difference between needing to farm to eat a loaf of bread and just being able to buy it from the store. Like now, <laughs> right? now, now you got a whole day that you can go engage in other activities. So on that note, just to kind of conceptualize 
because uh, people don't really, I, I think, quite think of Bitcoin um, in these terms. But like, if you look at the internet, if I wanted to, if I wanted to listen to music, like you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, I had to go to a store. I had to spend, let's say, 20 bucks on a CD, which mm-hmm. in today's dollars is probably more like 30 or 35, something like that. But I, I'd have to go. I'd have to buy the CD. I'd have to bring it home, and it cost me money. Yeah. Now with the kind of digital musics, I can I'm just listen click on to whatever more, song I want to yeah, right now. Yeah. I can listen to whatever the fuck I want, spend zero money on it, and listen to more music than ever existed in a Tower Records store ever. There was no Tower Records store that has what is available. It had the number of CDs you have, quote unquote, in right. front of you right this instant. In front of me that I can just stream. And we can all think about industries that have just been radically changed because of the internet. But I think streaming services, like if you think of Netflix versus Blockbuster, for less money than going to Blockbuster and renting three movies in a month, you can stream more than ever existed in a Blockbuster. So if you if you just like entertainment, there's clearly more for less because we kind of digitalized it. So you just pointed out remittances, which is giant for poor people that they don't have to lose as much time and they don't have to give up as much money basically to middlemen, right? So that's giant for the poor of the world. The poor mm-hmm. will not have to waste as much time showing up to some location to get their money and they won't have to pay a percentage over it. What are some other industries that you can forecast just being gutted with massive savings to basically daily consumers? And I'll just add, if you haven't read it, go read Henry Hazlitt's um, uh, Economics in One Lesson. It's very Great. important to understand that any very money fun. being saved, like don't look at it like, hey, this one banker is going to lose his fortune or like the industry of the merchants that exist. were trading things <laughs> are going to lose their opportunity to transact. Money saved will be money spent and it will be money spent on things that actually create value. So let's understand, right? Like if you can save money in these dumb fucking financial transactions of chokeholds, What are some industries? Oh, did I I just cut out there? You cut out for just a second. Yeah. All right. So just what are some industries that you forecast uh, getting gutted by this technology and just being significantly easier and cheaper for like your everyday consumer? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things, you know, money is a tool of trust. Like it's about establishing the ability to trade with someone that you do not know and do not trust in some other circumstance because you can trust the money. Like that is ultimately the tool of money from a societal perspective. It's, it's, it's what allowed us to go from Dunbar's number of 150 people because we had to know the relationship between everybody we interacted with. And if you owed me something, I had to know and trust you and I had to be able to come back and find you to repay that money eliminated that trust. It said, oh, we can both individually trust the money and we don't have to trust each other. All of the institutions of trust will be undermined in a massive way. All uh, I think I think something that is highly first off, just in the short term, uh, lightning authentication, like the ability to authenticate with your wallet, both privately or by, you know, recurring and being like, yeah, this is this is my static identity. Like you can log in with your lightning wallet on my website. It's a stupid, easy thing to implement. Like, uh, and it, it essentially eliminates usernames and passwords. It's a ve- huge, huge security issue on the internet, huge honeypot 
Um, I don't have to store anybody's usernames and password for my website. And I will never have, I don't ever want to have it so that people have usernames and passwords because I think it's a terrible fucking idea. I don't want that on my computer. I don't want that obligation. So just the idea of putting a public and private key into the hands of every person because it's your money, you can solve so many security problems. It's unbelievable. Like that's so much the source of like 80% of the security holes on the internet is how garbage our authentication systems are. Now you look at trust. You look, I really think the, the current structures that are going to hit the, get hit the worst are business contracts, loans and collateralization, insurance, anything that revolves around writing a contract attached to money futures exchanges, these sorts of things, you know, unchained capital is a decent example is that they are actually a financial service without actually being a custodian. They can hold one key for me and basically be a, a backup service for me. I hold two keys. They hold one. You need two keys to move the money. It's just multi-sig built into the Bitcoin system. So they can't move the money. They don't own the money. But if I lose one of my keys, they're a backup service. They can recover. They can be the second key and sign with me to recover my money. It's a financial service. It's a bank, essentially. But because they're not custodian, they don't have to have a banking license to do that. And then you've got a lightning network, a decentralized payment network. Visa? Visa is already too antiquated to work. I think, I think the in the same way that we had media that was, you know, three channels on the TV in the 80s or whatever, and you had to be one of the big TV giants. And now media is essentially anybody can throw up a website, a podcast, a, a streaming site, you know, whatever it is, uh, a YouTube page. I think we're going to see the same that same uh, splintering, that same spider web of decentralization happen in payment processors in uh, and, you know, uh, mutual funds, or excuse me, like um, mutual funds is a bad word for it because that's an actual thing. But like small, 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 like family groups, like trust funds that deal with finances together, that set up their own little payment services. We can decentralize. I am a payment service. I mean, I'm just I'm just a dude who, you know, happens to know how to put install this shit on his computer. And it's not like super sophisticated. It's just that it's uncommon and unfamiliar. But I run wallets and host a little payment node with like a whole bunch of channels on the Lightning Network for like six people. I'm basically a financial services provider, but I don't I don't have a license. You know, I don't I don't own their money. Like they just open up a channel with me, and they have their own wallet and. I'm providing literally a financial service and through that lightning network like connection, you can do all sorts of shit. You can attach a payment to a hash of literally any program you want. It is completely application agnostic. You can make phone calls that way. You can, you can attach it to a product. You can make it so that the payment uh, pays out a LSAT. That's a ticket to your event. You can trade it to somebody else. You can trade that LSAT. Like the, the number of things, everything to do with money and trust is going to be obliterated, just like everything to do with media and communication was obliterated by the Internet. And I just I just think it's a matter of time. And then to think about like 
I guess the kind of business ventures commonplace people can engage in because they don't need the lawyers or the experts because everything's kind of, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's almost automated and figured out. And like, Mm -hmm. this is a little bit hard for me to articulate, but like things that would be hard for you to price out will be almost done automatically. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a, like an example of that. I mean, title insurance is like a decent example because that's like a contract thing and that will just be kind of done away with. But the point almost being like, here's a good way to look at it. It would be nearly impossible for me tomorrow uh, to buy and rent out a rental property. Uh, Let's assume it costs about a million dollars to do. You need a lawyer, you need a real estate agent. You're going to need a title person. You're going to need tenants. You're going to need capital. You're going to need a loan. There's a lot of elements that you're going to need and it would take the research of what's a good property, tenants. There's like a lot of information that I would need in order to sit down and execute on that. In the land of crypto, where all of a sudden all these contracts are kind of done automatically, and there might even be an easier way for me to kind of pull together with other individuals to purchase these kind of things, Uh, financial like investments that would be impossible for me currently there'd be less friction for in the future uh, and you might yeah. be able to engage in, which also means from a, from like just a pure capitalism standpoint, uh, capital will flow into like good investments. Like we'll almost open up like, Hey, I'm sitting on blank amount of cash, right? Because it's almost like an information problem. Uh, and then also there, you know, people like me could be making money off of things that they currently can. I don't know if that's the best thought experiment or example, but I, I do think that that could be an element of kind of removing the friction. No, I, I totally, I totally think so too. Um, that, uh, like a, a decent example of something that I had been reading about not too long ago that I just thought was fascinating, and I think it's a great example of something that can because my example sucks. So thank you for it, saving it can, me on this one. That can exist in a Bitcoin world that doesn't really work today. Um, like so, let's use insurance as an example. Go back to like the late 1800s, and there was a system they were referred to as fraternities. And, uh, and it was essentially, you'd have like a group of like 50 or a hundred people that would literally just pool a certain amount of money. And, uh, and it would be under the entire group's control. And then you'd have auditors like who were part of the thing who would decide when someone uh, uh, like fulfilled the contract details to get a payout. And then you'd need a, you know, a subset of the people who were part of the fraternity to agree that, okay, yeah, this is legitimate. This guy got cancer, you know, his house burned down, whatever it is. And so the pool would pay out to that person. You can do this programmatically. You can do this with a multi-sig contract on Bitcoin, like with uh, Taproot, the new, um, uh, the new signature standard or whatever that's going to be activated in November on Bitcoin. You can put, you can make a, 60 of 100 multi-sig that's just one address and it looks like one signature and it only costs what one transaction costs you can put a thousand signatures behind it you can have a pool of funds that have all sorts of different branches of if this doesn't happen then this person has to sign then you have to wait for 30 days if there's not enough signatures etc etc you can write out an entire contract i think we're gonna have automated business insurance. No, Um, here's what, here's what you're describing, which is fascinating. So at the moment, the only way I can really purchase health insurance is through a health insurance company that I know is making a fucking fortune basically by, you know, everything that they fucking do. 
Mm -hmm. Right. But we can automate that by saying, hey, here's the rules of this specific insurance contract. Mm -hmm. Right. And it could be that, hey, this is, by the way, what's fascinating about this is you could be like you and I reasonably healthy. We could be like, hey, we're creating a healthy insurance pool. How? Uh, Sorry, I froze up again. How old are you, Mr. Spawn? So it would say what? Say again. How old are you, dude? How old am I? Uh, yeah. 34. I'm 34. Okay. You're 34. I'm 33. So imagine if we tried to make an insurance pool where you got to be between the age of 30, 35 and healthy, and then we'll pull you our be carnivore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fine. Whatever it is. You could, by the way, you could yeah, do yeah. that. You could say, Hey, no, you could, you I'm, could like, I'm a paleo only this type of blood type insurance pool. And then you could basically automate the math of if you actually take, you know, uh, let's go with body mass index as being like a marker of health. Doesn't mm-hmm. smoke, doesn't drink like you and I. <laughs> we can we, we seem to be freezing a little bit, but you know, it. that's, that's what happens once YouTube flags you as uh, being censored content. Okay. So let's say this, you currently can't do because you're not really allowed to, uh, you know, get rid of pre-existing conditions and you have to go through an insurance company. With what you're describing, we could it's almost like a constitution. You can write like a very standard set of rules that actually can't be affected by man. It's almost like putting a robot in charge. It's almost like that great movie of uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, where we can write our rules and say, basically, hey, you got to be to the ages of 30 and 35. You got to have this body mass index. You got to maintain it. You can get that checked in. Like, if that happens, here's your rate, right? And if somebody gets sick, this is what it's going to pay out. And since we're mm-hmm. basically cutting out the middleman of an insurance company, which we know is going to fuck us over, your cost, uh, your cost would would drop Plummet. dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that so that that is a major utility because you're automating what currently, firstly, is a lot of people, not just a lot of people's jobs, but it's an it, we're describing almost like if you can solve for information problems, right? Then you can just get you can literally gut industries, which saves all of us not just money, but also our fucking time of having to deal with these people. Yeah. And the, and just the simple nature that anybody's savings is essentially going to go up in value because all that has to happen, like everyone's purchasing power will increase if the economy is more productive, period. The economy gets more productive all the time. That is, that is what is the whole job of the economy is to be more productive and more efficient at the end of the year than it was at the beginning. Um, and the very nature that the purchasing power of people's savings will increase, will increase savings rates so dramatically and will make collateralized, like will make actual capital put up at stake for something in order to ensure trust. I think as ubiquitous as everybody going into debt, essentially for student debt, for a house debt, for a car debt is today i think we will see the flip side of everyone having savings of people actually being able to put up um you know five hundred dollars into a collateralized contract to rent a car um you know it's it's deposit and you can do that without this huge company to enforce it if you've got you know just a just a network of auditors or whatever to as as that that uh that insured signature or whatever you could call whatever you want to call it and you've got you've got to pay out if someone cheats you 
you've got proof of, you know, a signature of who it was in some sort of reputation system that doesn't even have to know who you are in order to give you a reputation. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it doesn't track your every movement. It doesn't track who you are. It just tracks what your, your public key is that you want to, you want to have for this. So you can build yourself a reputation and that reputation becomes it's like a little bit like an eBay it score. It's not who it's you like are any, as a human it's being. A, it's you on eBay. Exactly. Exactly. You can you can split it up as many times as you want. You just have to build from scratch every time you want to create a new one, um, which means that you're probably gonna have to put up more at stake. In fact, there's actually really funny allegory or like uh, analogy or whatever is that it's what you see in the darknet markets. Um, there's a great study by uh, some MIT students about the dark web talking about the fact that the dark web survives on excellent customer service. And one of the things they do like, uh, you know, if you if you get like a, uh, you know, like a shipment went wrong or whatever, they're going to they're absolutely 100 percent going to ship you something new. If you if you ask for a gram of weed or whatever, they're going to give you one point one gram. You want a 12 year old, and, they send you a 13 year old. They'll take care of it. <laughs> um, but but basically, though, in a, in, a, in a network where trust is such a huge problem, trust is everything that you have to build everything relies on you being trustworthy and one of the mechanisms that they have is that in order to uh like vet i guess you could say a new vendor in a darknet market there's a lot of them that will do it where they they basically stake they put up some amount of bitcoin capital that is locked or that they can't get back if they get a really shitty reputation. So if they upfront $2,000 to be a vendor because they don't have a reputation, they don't have any ratings or anything like that, then if you buy $100 of something from them and you're their first purchase, well, you know they're not going to screw you because they stand to lose $2,000 for a $100 purchase. Right. You know, like they've they've put up a, a tool that you can use to trust them. They have staked their reputation on the fact that they're going to work with you honestly. And I think that is applicable in so many different areas where right now we rely on trusted sources to create that, that some centralized institution to create that trust, to create that legal arrangement, to create that business agreement between somebody in China and somebody in the US. And we won't have, we won't be doing that anymore. We will be using something that's more reliable because there's political arbitrage. There's political risk when all the, the, the laws of the world are volatile. Maybe maybe this week it is a, a legitimate agreement between you and me. Maybe next week it's not. Who fucking knows? Look at the world we live in. And now these laws are stable. Um, but if they've got a million dollars on the line in this $500,000 agreement, I can trust them. Doesn't matter what country they're in, what their president is, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're going to do the right thing because they want their capital back. Um, and so you create this mutually assured destruction sort of situation where everybody is deeply incentivized for the arrangement to go through uh, calmly and agreeably, or it costs everybody to enter into the arrangement. And it's not because of politics. It's because of the laws of the money. And the laws of the money have nothing to do with the government. They are Bitcoin laws. It, and it, I think it's that's so massive. Have you ever read the book, Why Nations Fail? Um, not in full, but yes. 
I've, I've, uh, I think I've still got it in my Audible. I've been meaning <laughs> to go back to it. I, it's one of the early books I read that kind of brought me into, uh, even though it's, I don't know that it's necessarily a libertarian book, but I was fascinated with the quite with that question of why are some countries doing so well and some others aren't. And then I saw mm-hmm. the book with that title. I was like, Oh, this is exactly what's on my must mind. Read. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, exactly. Must read. There's two aspects of that book that I, are worthwhile for anybody. If you've never, and you might even be able to find like an, a, an abridged version. One, they talk about automation and how it benefits everybody. Cause it's this thing. human advancement like you look at uh like it's true when they created like the spinning wheel you know every time there's automation some people lose their job but it, it, it's better for humanity the other thing they talk about is like the, the single indicator of basically the countries that do well is that they have an open environment for new businesses to come in compete and invent things like that that's the single thing if you've got an open environment where people can invent the new things and come compete that country is going to do really well. If you don't allow for that, that's where things go to shit. So they basically argue that what was so brilliant about the U.S. and we're almost the failed experiment in this was that it was an experiment of could you have a government constrained by a document, which is the Constitution? Like we understand that government tends to like end up taking protective measures and that it interrupts this one process, which is if we have an open environment for people to invent and compete, everybody wins. And so we're going to create this document to try and restrain government. And I would almost say, because that's the single best book I've read that kind of is an argument for U.S. style democracy. And if anything, I would say it's proof of the fact that that failed. We tried it. Yeah. We tried to restrain government by a document. Right. People didn't people didn't abide by the rules and it didn't work. What you're describing of Bitcoin and crypto is almost, well, we can write it into the system and not let man fuck with it. Because once we agree on it, once it, once whoever the programmer is essentially says these are the rules and says there's no way to change these rules. Well, firstly, people vote with their dollars because if, for example, you want to buy Bitcoin over Ethereum, you are somewhat saying I like these rules better than those rules. So you're able to then vote with your dollar. And if people don't like the rules, then that system should, unless the market really is just everyone's retarded, should over time become extinct. So there should be a way that like people are almost voting with their dollars. But then there is no, what you and I were describing of the issue of centralization is that it's very easy for one individual, there's a choke point and it becomes very easy for people to control it. So what's great about rules that are written that like kind of can't be then changed by man or like adopted by single individuals or lobbied against or ignored. That's the biggest problem with the constitution. We essentially yep. ignore the rules there. So that's almost the fascinating. They don't apply Bitcoin. equally. They're, they're, they're kind of arbitrary. They're, they're semantic. Like they don't really mean anything in the grand scheme. It's like the robot enforcing the rules. We all agree to that. Like we wouldn't we, like by nature of man, we would become corrupted. Like we understand, like we need these rules because otherwise we're becoming corrupted. But mm-hmm. then since man's corrupt, like we just kind of, we fuck up the rules. So it's almost handing it over to, uh, in a way, like uh, it, it, it's, it's like the perfect game theory of figuring out how, like, how can we sit down? For example, even myself every day, I wake up, Hey, tomorrow I'm not drinking. I'm not going to eat unhealthy. It's like, we all kind of know how we're supposed to live our lives. And then we don't do that. Right. Yeah. But like, if you could just give yourself over to that higher intelligence when you write out that plan, which is almost what I feel like.
lost you for a second. I was saying it's like this go. is the interesting way of being able to sit down, write the rules, and being like we're set with it. Like that's it. There's no yeah. way to tamper with it. Like and if people don't like it, you, you know, you voted you voted away by moving to another platform. Yeah, this is where this is where the nature of Bitcoin becomes so critical. Is that the reason Bitcoin is sound? The reason that those rules are actually immutable, they're set in stone or set in digital stone, I guess you could say, um, is because the cost to verify it is insanely low. So when I am running a Bitcoin node, I am essentially verifying every single rule of the Bitcoin system for myself. I'm not trusting anyone else to do it. So anything built on top of Bitcoin can only be as decentralized as Bitcoin itself. That becomes the totem, the foundation to build everything off of. You know, if your foundation sucks, if your foundation's made out of sand, it doesn't matter how strong your third, fourth, and fifth floor are, it's still going to collapse when there's a strong wind or the, wa the water comes in, right? So you can't build decentralization on top of a centralized system. And, and this is where the nature of how the protocol remains in consensus how it is that even if someone does try to cheat the rules with a massive amount of resources, that they cannot, they cannot force the network to change the code. Because at the end of the day, it is code. You can still just edit it. But if there's three, we go back to the regulator problem at the beginning, is that if there's three regulators, it's really easy to lobby to get those, get those regulations changed. But if everybody is the regulator, if everybody is the one determining the rules that they follow specifically, well, then you suddenly have a system that can't be changed because the idea of getting everybody in the world to change the system all at the exact same time in consensus is just absurd. And it would have to be literally the most important. Like it would have to be like ride or die. It'd have to be literally like Bitcoin is going to fail or we get this upgrade. And that's essentially the only way you could ever change it. Um, so that's where you have a situation where is everybody running a node? Are enough people running a node to define the rules of the network that nobody can edit it? Or are three people running a node and everybody connecting to them and asking them what the truth of this network is? And if you have a system where everybody can run the node, everybody can verify the truth of the network and even 80% of the mining power can try to change the rules, but the entire network of all the people that matter will still reject what they do, will reject those broken rules. What you end up with is essentially a financial court. You end up with a court system and a judge that cannot be corrupted, that is not ambiguous or arbitrary in any way, that does not have any semantic definitions, it's all math, and that they will settle every financial contract, every insurance staking and collateralized situation exactly per the rules, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Um, and that's why, that's why, you know, like the Bitcoin maximalist or whatever you want to call it, are so hardcore about keeping the base layer as secure, as lightweight, as decentralized as possible. So there is no jurisdiction in the world that can shut it down. There is no firewall on planet Earth that Bitcoin cannot squeeze through. And, and that is how you know you have a court that can be trusted, a decentralized foundation for what is the truth and what is the lie. And then from that, 
you can build all of this stuff. You can build this insurance contract. You can build this relationship. You can build a 90 keys of 100 keys, you know, fraternity or whatever it is you want to do. Um, and you have an unlimited number of regulators that have to be bribed. And essentially that problem is relocated to the, you know, pages of history. All right. So shifting gears here. And uh, if you want to do this fresh on another episode, I did tell you we were going to do a half hour and we're already an hour in. So oh, shit. Yeah. That'll do you have other commitments tonight? No. Are you sure? I don't want to. I've definitely been on podcasts where I'm like, fuck, they told me 10 minutes. What are we doing? Here? <laughs> um, we're well, good. Okay. Let's go. Let's roll. I'm worried. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, I mean, everything I'm always fascinated because you got the insights on the shit I kind of half have figured out in my head or know nothing about. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to piece together. Uh, last year I did like a end of year project where I kind of recapped what was going on in the world. I, uh, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed putting that together, hoping to do it as a annual venture. Uh, Last year, I was a lot more up on the financial news this year. A lot more of my time has been sucked into the COVID nonsense because uh, the same way I, what I used to yeah. find so interesting about the Fed was to me, it was like the greatest con movie ever made. It was like watching Ocean's <laughs> Eleven where you would read about it and you'd just be like, how are they lying to us this good and getting away with it? I find the COVID stuff has uh, a little bit more... Uh, immediate impact on my life because while the Fed is creating financial issues, destroying the money supply, it's a little bit more how many years away are we from this thing unfolding on us? Whereas what's going on with, uh, as we were describing at the top of this episode with potential COVID passports and digital health records, that's all a lot more immediate. And even though there's all of 15 people listening to me, I, I do find I really got to like dig into this and share the information with those 15 people. I do feel like it's my life purpose. There. So there. there are one of the very interesting thing that's really developed over this past year. It's the ESG investing. And I can tell what's going on with ESG investing, mm -hmm. which is, well, there's two nefarious aspects. The first, which I think is more of what it is, is that and it's exactly what we're describing. I think certain key players are lobbying and foresee certain legislation coming that would never exist in the free market, that would only be because of centralized government control that will make these investments highly profitable. And so what I mean is carbon owning credit. windmills, you know, windmills like right now, carbon credits, there's a whole infrastructure of investments in alternative energy that if we were just burning gasoline and burning coal would never make sense. They don't make sense. They won't help anybody. They're not a benefit for the environment or the economy. They just aren't. But these people know, hey, I think we're going to get this legislation passed. And if they do, then all of a sudden those investments are. This $100 million investment valuable. will pay a billion dollars in bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's aspect one of what's really going on with ESG um, and BlackRock specifically, which is kind of the biggest player in that racket is that they know that legislation will come that will make those investments profitable. Uh, the other aspect of it, and I'm, I'm reading this book and it uh, like it just, uh, we all kind of understood it, but he put it in like really, really good terms. It's called Woke Inc. I recommend it. I'm trying to get Woke the author Inc. on. I'm really, really that. great. And by the way, it's really great because uh, at times he really ventures away from what you and I would agree with. And he's totally not a libertarian, but mm -hmm. like he really understands the inside picture of what's going on with all the woke capitalism. But mm -hmm. what he explained and he explained it perfectly is like, 
every kid who tries to get into a good college has to do some bullshit charitable thing. And we all know that it's bullshit. <laughs> we all know, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like you volunteer at a hospital, you don't do anything, or you go to your food shelter, you don't do anything. We all know what that is. That's essentially what all these companies are engaging in, mm-hmm. right? It's like this pretending to do good thing so that people think you're good. And then of course you got the problems that they managed to distract everybody from the real power dynamics of the haves and have nots to basically going the big banks like chase all of a sudden is like, yeah, yeah, we're stealing all your money, but we like the gays too. And everyone's like, they like the gays. So who cares if they're stealing all of our money? Like the whole thing, it, it's, it's such an incredible racket. I they bring said this my up. pronouns. They froze my bank account, but they said <laughs> my pronouns. I bring this up because I understand the bigger, like I can just see it like without doing one minute of research, I can see, Hey, I think that's what's happening here. And it's a really, really big storyline that we're like so deep into basically a socialized government that your, your largest corporations in the world, the biggest banks are not, they're not even talking capitalism anymore. They're not like they're done. Capitalism's over. It's about, we need to make investments that are socially responsible. Like it's not about money-making and obviously these companies care about it's making about money. So you realize it's because they're rigging the game. That, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I hand it back to you. I saw that we paused there. I hand it back to you because you're following this a little bit more than I am. So as I'm starting to kind of piece this together and go down the rabbit hole of the horrors of ESG, uh, what's some of the things I should like be aware of? So um, ESG just in general, I think is kind of the end game for this kind of socialistic monetary system we've been under. Um, is when the money itself is politicized, all of the markets that become most profitable are nearly simply the ones that are closest to the money spigot. They're the ones that are closest to the loan makers and the interest rate setters um, who then get capital. Like, like it's, a, it's just like since 2008, we've had an entire, like we have a, the, what's it called? The, uh, the Unicorn Club of all these companies that don't even make profits and they're like worth more than a billion dollars. Like they just no profits. And, and, uh, ooh, excuse me. Um, and, uh, uh, they're these, this, these zombie corporations that literally thrive on paying off last, the last loan with a new loan that has less interest and getting loans to buy back their own stock to pump up the value of the stock, which for, co- encourages everyone to invest in them. And these companies literally do not make productive enterprise. They are parasites. And when that happens, all investment becomes a political narrative. ESG is a nightmare when it comes to actual productivity, actual efficiency, and actual environmental health. We would be nuclear. We'd be 100% nuclear right now if this was about producing energy efficiently and doing so that did not cost the environment. Solar and wind is garbage for the environment and it's the, literally the most restrained dog shit way to produce energy ever. Like just the density of the energy uh, created, it's like it's orders of magnitude steps backward. Um, like there are some half decent things about solar from a very micro perspective. Like if you have solar on your house, but at scale, solar is a terrible idea. Um, but this is literally just we're kind of in the market where it's whatever the government decides should be invested, should get the loan. 
is now the market to be investing in because this is the end of this is fiat in game this is where everybody is chasing those last dollars printed the freshest dollars in the economy because they're the ones that are still valuable and as inflation heats up this is going to get way way worse and 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 really more exaggerated but that's why i think bitcoin is the solution to this is that it's going to write like nobody people in the bitcoin economy really don't give a shit about that because if it doesn't pay a return, like if it's not going to pay a real return, there's no fake interest rate in Bitcoin. There's no way to get Bitcoin loaned to you at a cost that's not real from the guy who had to give up the Bitcoin. It's a real market with real market prices. The volatility is proof of that, for Christ's sake. And that is going to completely change everyone's focus because the government is no longer the determining factor of the, the direction of the wind in the economy. Bitcoin is. Um, and that's why I think even the people who are, uh, you know, we're, we still have a huge portion of the economy, even in even in Bitcoin, who are, you know, saving in Bitcoin, who are still catching the fiat wind. They want to put their sales to catch the fiat. Um, and so this ESG narrative is going to get worse. And I think that's probably what the crackdowns are going to turn to when COVID is kind of out of well, they're already talking capital. about it. The doctors were yeah. saying that uh, that's exactly what's happening is they're kind of saying, hey, the risks of life are so great. We need centralized control over it. It's a healthcare and, issue. <laughs> and then we're very close to the exact same thing because they're already talking about it. The narrative's already there. They just mm -hmm. weren't able to pull it off a couple of years ago. They realized that viruses were a better foe than global warming. But now that we're kind of used to the idea of government can control our entire lives for our own health, it takes global warming is actually worse. Global warming is way more dangerous than this COVID thing. It's just it's harder to conceptualize. So it's a really good thing we got used to us kind of running things because we're going to be able to get we're going to be able to take care of this for you. Sure, yeah. it's going to get in the way of economic growth and your freedoms, but obviously but we have you don't to want sacrifice the economic growth for the environment. We yeah. have to. It, the Earth is going to literally die. If Which is really just protecting their profits. That's all it is. 100%. 100%. And then it's um, capitalizing on, uh, there's a great, um, I'm not sure if you've heard the theory on the bootleggers and Baptists. Do you know that? Okay. No. Um, brilliant political theory. And I think this is, this is the story of politics is that there are, um, it was, it's a analogy to uh, prohibition is that the reason prohibition happened is because of the unholy alliance between the bootleggers and the Baptists. There are the ideologues, the people who put up the facade of this is the reason, you know, you're going to go to hell. The, you know, the, a good Christian doesn't drink alcohol or whatever, certainly not on Sunday. Um, and, uh, uh, and so they're the ones giving the, the moral imperative for why prohibition must happen, but they don't have the capital. The people who have the capital are the bootleggers. They're the ones that are going to make billions of dollars if prohibition goes into effect. So they want prohibition to happen. So they are funding the Baptists. The Baptists hate them, but they don't know that the only reason that the Baptists have any pull is because of the bootleggers putting up their capital. So what we're looking at right now, carbon credits are a great example because even though we kind of have them now, one of the original... Um, uh, I think it was back in 
Oh, it's almost shit. the cat. It's almost the capitalist versus the environmentalists, and so the capitalists yeah. are giving the money to the environmentalists because they seem- want the regulations that they can afford right. that they know their their uh, their competition can't. And there was originally one of the one of the first times that there was a real serious push for carbon credits that we thought was going to happen, um, uh, and in fact, it was it was damn near close to passing, kind of at the last minute. One of the clauses, one of the key clauses got changed where companies, the, all, the major companies that were already there did not get grandfathered in, which would have basically just handed them. They were like the baseline and it would hand them literally hundreds of billions of dollars in carbon credits that they get to now sell to any new entrant into the system because they aren't allowed to uh, do carbon or uh, allowed to produce car- too much carbon outside of th- some threshold. So basically it was a shit coin. It was an airdrop for a shit coin that they could just get for free because they were already a company and that all of the new competitors would have to buy directly from them. They were the bootleggers and the environmentalists were the Baptists. They were the ones saying, this is for the environment. This is for the good of everyone. The world is going to end if we don't do this. And the major corporations are like, exactly right. The world's about to fucking end. Pay me $200 billion for the pollution that I am doing right now. Um, But that grandfather clause got removed and the bill died in like a matter of weeks. It was just like, ah, fuck, we're going to have to try again later. Um, and, And it was all because, did the environmentalists get any quieter? Nope. The bootleggers ran away. They said, we're going to have to do it again. We're going to have to rewrite this thing. We're going to have to implement somebody else. We're going to have to lobby these new politicians coming in. And we're going to have to figure this out so that we are grandfathered in. Um, And that's how, like, that's the political theory. And I think that's basically what's been dominating all major business right now. Like, we are a political economy, period. Um, And the money just exaggerates all of it to a disgusting degree. We printed six trillion dollars last year. It's the whole. So, it's and now they're talking about that we need another three point five. It's like, all. It, just, it makes insane. no sense. It's insane. It's insane. It goes you until fiat dies. It literally goes until the dollar dies. So what's uh what's your inflation expectation? Oof. Um. Uh. At, at by any sensible measure, probably twenty twenty five percent this year. Just um, this year. But I got to do, you know, I have the problem. Of I think it first, could be worse because it's not evenly distributed. I mean, you look at cars, you look at housing, you look at meat. It, I, it's it's going to be really interesting because it's going to be a mess. They're, they're going to say it's like, oh, it doesn't it's not really bad in things that don't matter. You know, you can buy you can still buy cornflakes and Netflix <laughs> for the same price. It's not really bad inflation. It's like, well, fucking. <laughs> Yeah, you're just gonna get fat and die. <laughs> um, so I actually I had a mind, uh, last year. Um, I I bought like a. I mean, I I have a car, but now it's kind of shitty, and like I'm I, I am starting Same. to think about like that. I'm probably gonna need a new car soon. But the yeah. one thing I've wanted for like the last. Oh, the one thing you wanted. Uh, the one thing you wanted uh, for the last yeah, the, one, the one thing I wanted for the last five years. I, I mean, I work, I work multiple jobs and I'm, 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 I'm cheap and don't really spend money. I mean, look at the fucking clothes I wear. It's like, I'm, I've owned this wardrobe <laughs> 10 years. I bought myself a, like a pretty nice carbon like bike. Cause I, I, I ride my bike a lot and you know, okay. I'm combating fat fuck, fat fuckery at all times. So like, yeah. 
I'll invest in exercise. But I was like this. I was like with inflation. I was like, honestly, I was like, whatever I need, I better buy this shit now because it's it might. But on the other side of that, I don't know if you ever read um, it's a good book. Think fast and slow. But one of the things it describes in, in that book is that human beings, we don't really like, like, it's kind of painful to think Thinking about things. fast and slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I that's the name of the book. Yeah. It, it's kind of painful to actually take the time to think about things. And I, I have this for sure. We don't really want to be responsible for our decisions. Uh, and so if something's the norm, most people kind of go with it because to opt away from the norm there's a responsibility from there. So like, even like psychologically, if there's just like an opt in and the norm is opt in and you have to actually press opt out, well, now you have to think about your decision and you're responsible for opting out. Now maybe there's like the FOMO clicks in like, well, what am I going to make? It's a dumb fucking newsletter, but you're like, I I don't want to be responsible for opting out. I'll stay in. I have that personally, even though I, I feel fortunate to own some amount of Bitcoin. I don't have a fantastic amount of Bitcoin. I own some amount of Bitcoin, but I still have that. I get my paycheck in, in U.S. dollars. And a couple months ago, I was like, all right, every single month when I get that paycheck, I'm going to put blank percent. I never fucking do it. It's a mixture of lazy. And then everyone's like, you got to automate like, that shit. You got to automate I know. It. I really I really do because it's going to come back. It's on it Bitcoin, come, baby. That's why, that's why I do swan. <laughs> it, will come, it will come back to bite me. But I, I definitely do confront that where it's like uh, – it's like the opting. I mean, who knows at this level? I bought in. I basically I got real lucky. I bought in my first batch of Bitcoin when it was at five k, and then oh, when, it, yeah. when when it dipped back down to thirty five, I rebought. Um, Good not man. A large enough, Good not man. a large enough quantities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but still. Yeah, but now what's uh what's your wild ass prediction? Are we now? this is like the last dip was the last dip and we're about to see the big breakout. Like, do you still, cause the last time you and I spoke and it was floating around 50, we both said, Hey, we love Bitcoin. We're not sure that now is the time to buy in. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't have a read on this thing anymore whatsoever. So I hand it back to you. This is how Bitcoin likes to do. Um, I like to say, uh, uh, particularly in my experience being in Bitcoin for 10 years is Bitcoin likes to take the path of greatest pain. Um, so if everybody thinks it's spiritual like that, it's going to hurt you so that you can learn the lesson of Bitcoin. Um, and God's currency, it's like testing your faith at all times. I will say in under five years, uh, I, I think we'll see a million dollars a coin. Um, but in the short term, I have no idea. I just buy I just right, and if if it's gonna dip on me, that's okay. I've been there. I I, I live through the dips. I, I I love the dips. I'll just empty my bank account and overdraft and have to have a conversation with my bank. Um, but but I will survive because El Salvador just adopted Bitcoin as legal tender, and people just have absolutely no fucking clue what that means and what is on the horizon. We are entering in a second chapter into Bitcoin, and it is going to be a global medium of exchange. We are going to the very problem and the idea of monetization is going to change drastically. Like I have a good subset of people which who who listen to my show and they pay me sats every by the minute when they listen to it. Um, Like they literally pay me like a nickel or, or two pennies or something like that every single minute while they're streaming my podcast um the idea that i have my own payment processor i i have no custodian i don't have a square 
sign up or cash app or whatever for my website. By the way, and Edward Square kicks my ass. So this yeah. is not this is not a small thing that you're describing. Yeah. And Patreon, like there's there's a new system, there's a new uh like uh, request standard referred to as offers in Lightning Network. We're gonna get rid of Patreon. Like you're gonna be able to do subscriptions, you're gonna be paywalls, you're gonna be able to stream sats uh for, for video. Uh, like lightning.page is a system I'm using right now, uh, built by a friend of mine who's just like, it's just a really cool thing. And it's decentralized hosting. It's a, it's essentially a, um, like a Twitter in a sense, except that I am paying, uh, like just a small amount of money, like 10 cent or 20 cent or whatever to host some file of mine. And I can put it behind a, a paywall to have somebody to, uh, uh, look at it, or you can host for each other. Um, and everybody connects to it kind of like, like, kind of like torrent, but you just see the feed that you subscribe to and you connect to the relevant people and download from them. So your feed is just that, and it's all integrated with lightning. So you can instantly make tips, payments, uh, subscriptions like this sort of thing. I think there's enough people, there's enough cypherpunks and, uh, developers throwing the darts at this problem that, the decentralized hosting, the decentralized monetization problem is going to be solved. It's going to be something with stupid, simple, and really fucking intuitive when you look backwards. It's going to be like, that was so obvious. And it's going to start to radically change just how the infrastructure on the internet happens. And I think in the next three or four years, uh, it's it's soon. It's soon. All right. Um, they might I already got, be here. I don't know. That would be a great exit point, but I got one more question for you. Ah, yeah. Okay. Repo. Last year, right? <laughs> they're throwing all the money at the banks. It's mm -hmm. quantitative easing. They don't call it that. There's clearly not enough cash in the system. And so they're using this repo thing. They're calling it financial plumbing. And they're handing them fantastic amounts of money. Now, this year, You've got the opposite problem where they've got this standing repo facility and they're taking all the money back from the banks. I don't know if they're paying interest to the banks. Here's what's clear to me. You take a step back. I understand you and I have already I've already said this example, but I'm going to I'm going to repeat it so I can feel good and smart. <laughs> Here's what's going on in the banking sector. It's very clear. to me. First is it's a hostage situation where if certain signals are allowed to, like, get to market. Right. We're all in trouble. Shit hits Pensions fun yeah. fail. Shit's hit the fan. And so the banks are lucky that they have us as their hostages. And so they get bailed out because that's the signal. The signal is interest rates changing, banks going under. Yep. That's the stuff that kind of showcases, hey, the system doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Oh, froze again. Until it goes belly up. I know exactly where I was. Until it goes belly up. They will continue to bail out the banks because that's the hostage situation. Mm -hmm. What I believe to be the repo market, it's this seesaw type thing where the system does not work anymore. The entire system just doesn't work. And so what they do is when the banks don't have enough capital, they go, okay, here's all the short-term money that you need. We'll give it to you whenever you need it in the short term so that you can keep your books fresh. And then all of a sudden, this part I don't understand, when the banks have so much cash that there's zero productive usage for it, how, how does that make sense? So there's no opportunity for growth or loans in the entire economy that the banks would want to place this money anywhere other than just handing it back to the Fed to go, hey, we better keep this money outside of the economy. 
So I'm going to hand it back to you because what, what I think is happening is just the system doesn't work. And so they got to pass back money back and forth between themselves to essentially make it appear that whatever numbers they have to hit on the books kind of are there. And so we never signal, hey, this this thing doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I hand it back to you because conceptually the idea of banks sending money back to the Fed for, I don't think, uh, an interest payment to just get it off their books does not make sense. So I hand it to you to explain to me why banks have so much capital that they have to hand back to the Fed. Like, what is the standing repo facility of like the reverse repo and just bigger picture, what is going on? Like, like just generally speaking, I have not followed the Fed that much this year. So generally speaking, what what is going on? Well, I'll be perfectly honest. I actually haven't been following it quite as closely okay. as I used to either. Um, just because they turned on essentially their infinite spigot. They basically just plugged the Fed into the banks. So it's like, oh, Jesus, so like, what's there to keep up with anymore? Like, they just they're not even issuing it's just a constant stream. It's just whenever right, it's no longer there an is announcement demand. Of QE. It's just exactly. what do you need? Exactly. There's the, the, the idea of QE, QE5 is out the window because it's just we now have a QE plug that everybody's plugged into and it just runs. But essentially what they're doing is there's the banks don't trust each other anymore because nobody knows who's going to be in, who's going to be solvent in the morning if any sort of real prices actually begin to develop somewhere. And this is what we saw back in this is uh, we saw this right before Corona hit even back in 2019 in like September is the overnight markets went absolutely batshit. Um, like we saw in like a matter of like six hours or something, interest rate went from like 1.6% to like 10. Um, Which by the way, that story got forgotten. Totally forgotten. Totally two months, before two months corona, later, Corona. Nope. Nope. Yeah. We're not talking and, about that. And anymore. when that Corona thing happened, most of the trillion dollar bailout went to the banks that, needed it anyways it had yeah. nothing to fucking do with corona yeah yeah it was just it was just, just the excuse to keep the uh, to keep the plug going and to get everybody distracted like it's just a big news point to distract um and uh but so with like like right now the the reserve currency is bonds it's it's government bonds and the rate is straight up zero um i think they tried to raise it no, yeah, the last time they tried to raise it was at the end of 2019 and it like creaked back up. So essentially banks are being given this money when nobody else will buy their loans or like like offer up reserves because everybody's tight. Everybody's like, nope, 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 I'm not I'm not doing this. Well, then the government just steps in and makes it look like like that's a liquidity crisis, right? That's what happens when if you're trying to sell a bunch of cars and literally no one will touch your cars. That means that the price of your cars should plummet because nobody, the demand is gone. Well, right. the Fed is just saying, no, 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 there's plenty of demand. Don't worry. We have a money printing machine that will just fake demand for a little while. You can turn this around, loan it out, buy a bond, whatever it is that you're going to make percent off of, use that as reserves, and then you'll pay us back some on a 0% interest, maybe even a negative percent interest. Who knows? We're in completely uncharted territory here. Um, but unfortunately, I can't give you really an exact answer. I just, yes, they're just there cooking the books. Um, but like I said, I haven't really been keeping up with it. It's just they've been well, they've been using you, legislation to be their money printing machine because we're now in UBI territory. We're now in three point five trillion dollar infrastructure bills arguing about whether it's going to be three point seven. You know, it just once, like, uh, it, it's become so absurd. 
that it's hard to put down I any think, details. I think the issue is that once you see the bigger picture, right, the technicals are kind of boring. Yep. So the bigger picture yep. is, hey, the system doesn't work. They're cooking their books. They're trying to remain solvent. We're in end game here where the system looks like it's going to fall apart. So they need to try and socialize and establish as much control over everything as they can, because otherwise they won't have money in the future or control or power. So mm-hmm. it's like they're trying to, you know what I mean? It's like they're, they're trying to lock down control over everything so that they can at least secure their own profits, which comes at the expense of everybody. And it comes at the expense of uh, technology, growth, development, everything that's great about being a human on earth and the infinite possibilities for if the forces of good are allowed to exist of what we can accomplish. Right. So yeah. it's like, it's just, I don't know. It, it's crazy because to- Go ahead. They have to broaden the socialized losses. They, they have to get everyone in. I mean, this is why I think we're going to digital currencies to like CBDCs and why we're even discussing the potential of having everybody having like an account at the Fed, which is so stupid. Um, but it's just because you have a direct place where you can freeze all the funds. Um, I, like, I think the next big thing that I think the average person should worry about is retirement accounts. I think they're going to socialize retirement accounts to save everyone from the next crash or whatever. And it will be how we it, it, it'll be Social Security all over again, just with your 401k. Um, and oh, they're going to seize everyone's 401k and say that this is. Everything. Yeah. And it's like we're, we're there to help you. I, mean, I knew I shouldn't be saving every retirement. Time. It happened every time, you know, like and that's why I've just cashed all my shit out and put it in Bitcoin. Or if at least if you have it, expose it to Bitcoin somehow. Um, uh, at least in the mid uh, the midterm, but I don't know. Is they have to? They have to because they're covering up a hundred trillion dollar problem with like eight trillion dollars. You know what I mean? Like they're the the imbalance is so unbelievably massive. They cannot cannot let real prices hit the market. And at the end of the day, the rubber band that's going to pay that's going to pay the difference is the currency. Um, and that'll be us, you know? All right, bud. We fucking did it. Let everyone know where they can find you. Yes, I am uh, the guy swan on the twits. And uh, I got Bitcoin Audible and Shitcoin Insider, my two podcasts. Hopefully some other stuff on the way. Uh, lots of great video work in the in the works. I'm really trying to get back into the video thing. I did Filmmaker by Trade. Um, but more than anything, really just check out Bitcoin Audible. If you want to stay up on this. Oh, and just a note on keeping up with the Fed and repo markets. A great resource that I rely on a lot is Lynn Alden. Uh, She has just a website with free newsletter thing or whatever. Um, But she publishes really great pieces. I read them on Bitcoin Audible. So if you just want to listen to them Audible format, they're free on the show. But yeah, uh, that that's a great one. But yeah, check out check out Bitcoin Audible, BitcoinAudible.com, all that good stuff. Hell yeah! And I'm gonna put you on the spot since uh, so you can't say no. Uh, but I'm going to be in touch with you off air between now and end of year. Cause uh, yeah. as I start delving into these topics, uh, I'm going to hit you up. Cause I, I got to figure it like, I'm I have available, to di- man. Thanks man. I got to digest all the information. It's like try and figure out how to make it funny, but like <laughs> it's impossible without understanding it first. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, if man, that would be, that would be the magic sauce. If you could explain this in like a very comical way, um, just like big picture ideas, 
like that's it like 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 you sell it and i'm trying i i have a i have I a vision buy your for, shit so hard <laughs> thanks man i, I i'm really i usually kind of hate on my own shit i was really I don't, I don't think I, I, I don't think I filmed it perfectly last year. I don't think like mm -hmm. the audio is perfect. There were technical issues, but I actually, I was really proud of um, some of those chunks of material. And like, even a year later, I still think like, even though the stories aren't as relevant, I think if people were to watch it, they get like a really pretty good picture of like the way government really works uh, in my head. The problem is I, 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 I got to really sit down and do my homework, but I really want to do a peach piece on I, uh, all of the lies in terms of stats in regards to selling COVID to us. I want to do, I want to do a piece on Fauci's history and the relationship <laughs> between like pharma and government. Yeah. And then the other thing I really want to hit is ESG, the fed repo and global warming and kind of like this, uh, this, what I see as being the chess pieces on the board of like just really heading towards socialism uh, as to really sitting down and understanding all these elements and making it funny, it's a it's a, it's, it's a task. So it is. But That's a rabbit luckily hole. I'm working. I'm working with Stephen on the medical stuff. I've got. Uh, I'm going to hit you up once I get to the financial stuff. I think I'm going to be working with a kid who uh, uh, is really good with roast jokes to help me with the writing. I got L L P V M Mises pieces who's really good with the artwork. So. Okay, I got a bit good. of a team on this one. Uh, and so hopefully it will come together, but the dream dude, team. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, and uh, we'll definitely do it again. I also got to hit you up when I'm coming through Virginia and uh, we'll be in touch for the end of year thing. Dude, I'll be, I'll be around. Let's absolutely. You come through, hit me up. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll go hang out somewhere.